You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. This week, we're going to be talking about the fatal roller coaster derailment at the Grana Lund Amusement Park in Stockholm. We'll discuss why Sweden is insisting that sex workers must pay tax, even though it's illegal to pay for sex in Sweden. We'll give you the latest updates on Sweden's NATO application after Sweden's foreign minister met his British counterpart this week. And lastly, we'll look into Sweden's plans to liberalise the rental housing market and what it will mean for homeowners and tenants. I'm your host, Paul O'Mahony, and I'm on my own today in Stockholm, but I'm joined from Malmö by Richard Orange and Emma Lovegrain. And we're also going to hear a little bit later from James Savage, who'll give us all the latest NATO news straight from Almadalen on Gotland, which is where a lot of the action is this week in Sweden. We're recording this quite early in the morning because of studio booking clashes. Uh, Malma, are you awake and ready down there? We're ready. I am cranked up on, what's this stuff? Juicy breeze. It is like highly <laughs> caffeinated drink. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Just a couple of quick points before we get into the news. Uh, we're recording this episode on Wednesday the 28th of June, which is a bit earlier in the week than usual. And as things stand, it's possible that there will be an airport strike at Orlanda, Broma and Landvetter airports starting on July 3rd. It's also very possible that negotiations will succeed and the strike will be averted and we'll put any updates to this story in the show description, assuming we know more by the time the podcast is published on Saturday. The other thing I wanted to mention is directed mostly at our Indian listeners and it's just to point you in the direction of our monthly Indians in Sweden newsletter, which is available to paying members of the local you can sign up on our members newsletter page, which we'll add a link to in the notes. OK, let's move on. And we'll start with the tragic news from the weekend when a roller coaster derailed at Grana Lund in Stockholm, leaving a woman in her 30s dead and nine people injured. Emma, what can you tell us about what happened? Well, they're still investigating exactly what happened, but based on the early reports that we've got, both from like official crash investigators and from eyewitnesses speaking to media, it looks like some of the wheels on one of the roller coaster cars came loose. And mm. that then made one of the cars, cars um, partially derail. And it took some people with it as it fell. And it was basically left hanging there at a height of around six to eight meters before they could Ooh, get everyone terrifying. down. And 
Unfortunately, one woman was injured so badly that she died, and there were a couple of other people who had serious injuries, but they're not described as life-threatening. We know that three children were among those injured in the accident, but they have all mm. been able to leave hospital, so they're better now. And I mean, these kinds of accidents, they're, they're actually extremely rare in Sweden, so it's definitely left a lot of people really shaken. And the roller coaster had passed an independent inspection earlier this year, and Gröna Lund says that it inspects its rides pretty much every day. But there have also been some reports in Swedish media that safety concerns had been raised by some visitors just in the weeks leading up to this incident. Okay, and do we know what happens next? I mean, there are several separate investigations going on. So the park itself is investigating what happened. There's a a criminal investigation to see whether anyone should be held criminally responsible. Mm. And uh, the Swedish Accident Investigation Authority is also looking into what happened. And they're basically the people who get sent to like plane crashes and things like that. And their investigation could take up to a year because it's quite comprehensive. But their findings so far already suggest, though, that the wheels did come off somehow. At the time we're recording this, we don't know when Grönalund will reopen. They said that they were going to be closed for at least a week after the incident. So they could be just about to reopen when you listen to this. We don't know whether the roller coaster, which is called Jetline, uh, whether it will be reopened or whether they'll just get rid of it entirely. I guess the the investigation will show whether it's safe or not. But like on a more psychological level, Grönalund is it's it's a pretty iconic theme park. Like it's very much part of the Stockholm skyline. It's over a hundred years old, and it's a place where people go with their kids and their friends and everyone. And right now, it's hard to think that it will ever really be the same. Down here in the south, there's like Shivik's Marknad near near where Emma lives in Simrishamn, which is great, but has these absolutely terrifying roller coasters put up by sort of travelling fares. And I have to say, I'd be, I'm, it does make if even Grönalund can't keep them safe, it does make me worried about going on any of these dodgy fairground rides with sort of heavily tattooed people running them. You kind of, um, you know, it's terrifying. I think. It's it's a total nightmare. You go on these things and you think, oh, this rattles a bit. Is it actually safe? And the answer is not always. Well, I've (laughs) never been on one of those things. Yeah, because it is like it's everyone's nightmare, isn't it? That that these rickety fairground rides actually aren't safe. I'm not sure how old it actually is because it's from 1988, but it was renovated in like the early 2000s or something. But I'm not sure how old the actual like roller coaster train is. Because I know some of the parks in Sweden have at least temporarily shut down their roller coasters. Uh, But in Liseberg, in Gothenburg, they have not. And I think it's the same kind of roller coaster from the same manufacturer. But they were basically like, no, we we bought our cars uh, just a few years ago, so... Mm. We're confident that that's they're safe. That's Lisa, that's Lisa Barry's on, isn't it? The one. In yeah, Lisa. I think so. Yeah, I think if I was them, I think it's probably better just to say no. It, it is safe. You know, this is just a one-off. You know, we do check it. At the moment, you shut it down for a bit. People will say, "Well, is it?" You know, I don't know. I think Lisa Barry is probably doing the right thing. Um, okay, thank you for that roundup, Emma, and we'll put our stories on this tragedy in the episode description. 
Next, we're going to listen to a conversation James had with the Foreign Minister Tobias Bilstrom after a meeting at Almadolan with his British counterpart, James Cleverly. James asked the Foreign Minister if he felt Sweden's accession to NATO was more likely now than it was a month ago. Well, I'm very happy with the uh, very clear statements made by Foreign Secretary uh, Mr. James Cleverly here in Visby today in, in Sweden, where he has stated very clearly that the UK wants to see Sweden as an ally as quickly as possible, uh, that they view our contribution to the NATO alliance as something which is valuable and which will strengthen the alliance. Was James Cleverly able to offer you anything today in terms of practical support to help speed up your NATO application? Well, I think that the fact that he mentioned so clearly in the in his statements here that that the UK is firmly behind the accession is proof enough of that. But on top of this, it's also clear that the security assurances offered by the UK shows the commitment by the UK to the case of Sweden becoming a NATO ally. So that was the Foreign Minister Tobias Bilstrom in conversation with James Savage. Uh, James, what else was said at that press briefing? When I think when you boil it down, not a lot, but uh, what the, the the impression that you get and the and, and what is very clear from the way the politicians are speaking is that what they really really don't want to do right now is rock the boat with Turkey. The Brits are very keen to get Sweden into NATO. You know, the Brit Brits are very committed members of NATO. And they see, you know, I think the whole of the whole of NATO sees, um, well, apart from maybe Turkey, sees Sweden as an absolutely essential, very at least very important future member of the of, yeah. of the alliance. So they're very keen to ensure that everything goes that everything goes through as as quickly as it can. And you know, they're living with the reality that Turkey has an absolute right as a as a member of the alliance to prevent Sweden. From entering, mm. so so right now they're just having to play really nice with Turkey. They're trying not to speculate about what will happen and when. They're trying not to sound like they're taking anything for granted because they know that whatever they say is going to find its way back to Turkey and to Erdogan yeah. and could make the whole situation much more difficult. But I think what was what was significant and what was interesting yesterday is that James cleverly made the trip to. Gotland. It's not that. Yeah. It's not that easy a place to get to, really. You know, you've, you've got to fly to Stockholm, and then you've got to fly, take another flight over, over to Visby. And you know, just just coming over to Visby for a few hours to stand next to the Swedish foreign minister to show that the UK is very much on Sweden's side, that um, it is providing support for diplomatic support for Sweden. Perhaps a, a, a slight indication, I'm sort of freebasing, but. Uh, that that stuff is happening behind the scenes. So I think that that was a message that they were trying to send across, a message of support for Sweden's application at a very important time. We've got now um, just a couple of weeks left till this, this conference, um, the, the, NATO, the NATO conference in, in, yeah. in Vilnius. And, you know, it's hoped still um, by, by the Swedes and by and, and, and by the Brits and others that, that, that Sweden will have joined NATO by the Vilnius um, conference. You know, one of the things I asked Bielström is, is how significant it is that Turkey agreed to have discussions with Sweden prior to the conference. And you know, Bielström was, wasn't giving anything away there. He wasn't saying, oh, this is important. It's a good sign. It was an absolute poker face. And I think one of the things you see with Bielström, I spoke to someone yesterday from the moderate party, and they they were saying, well, you know, you can see why Bielström got the job, because he's very good at giving these loyally answers, these these answers that are very, very much weighed up because he's 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 considering 
every word yeah. and um, knows that every word counts when it when you when you're dealing with sensitive diplomatic questions and mm-hmm. and that's you know that's clearly what he's doing now mm, that's interesting because he was a controversial choice as as foreign minister Yes, he was, and, and you know, I think I think certainly a lot of people in the moderates were thinking, well, maybe we'll get another another sort of a, a built style person, Carl mm. Bildt, you know, quite a quite a um, outspoken, yeah, yeah, an outspoken um, foreign minister. You know, we've had other campaigning foreign ministers before from the from the Social Democrats, like Margaret Wallström. But Bielström's a different kind of person. He is he is this very sort of considered lawyerly kind of person, and in this kind of situation. Remember, he was appointed after Sweden's nature application had been submitted. Yeah. Um, and in this kind of situation, maybe that's the sort of person you, didn't, you, you need in position. Thanks for that. So you're in Almadalen all week. What's it like there this year? It's interesting. I think it's, 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 it feels a little more subdued than it was last year. That's not strange because last year was an election year. Yeah. Um, but there's also the, the, the factor of the horrendous uh, murder last year of Ing Marie Wieselgren, who was yeah. a... Um, a senior um, psychiatrist and, and a national uh, psychiatry um, coordinator. She was murdered by um, a, a man called Theodor Engström, who appeared to have uh, singled her out because of his, his experiences with Swedish psychiatry. But also yeah. he, he was suffering himself from, from serious psychiatric um, illnesses. Um, and, and that murder, and also the fact that um, that Theodor Engström had, had planned to murder other people, including the centre party yeah. leader, Annie Love, Definitely cast a pall not only over last year's Amadon, but also over this year's Amadon. And people have been asking whether it should have gone ahead, whether it should be scaled down, or whether people should, um, you know, uh, refrain from mingling or drinking wine with each other. After certainly, that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing that you know it is going ahead as normal. It's a bit smaller than last year, but people are still you know meeting each other. And I think it is for those who haven't been. And I, I certainly, if you get the chance to go and you're interested in in, in, in social issues and politics, it's a great place to come. It's mm. um, you get you get you, you get access to all sorts of um, interesting people, not just not just you know the senior people, but also just interesting people who've got interesting things to, to to say about various different topics in society. You can walk in and out of seminars and learn an awful lot. So it's like a, yeah. it's like going back to university for a week and. Um, it's great, and I'm I'm glad it's continued. What's interesting, Imari Vislegrin's daughter has come to Almadalen, and um, a, a foundation has been set up in memory of her mother. But she's also been there saying, I think she's saying how important it is that this festival of democracy, as you might call it, continues. So um, she's very much supportive of those those people who want to just keep on pushing through. That was the locals' CEO James Savage calling in from Almadalen. Before we get to the next story, uh, I want to recommend another podcast you should listen to. It's produced by our sponsor, the Stockholm Dual Career Network, and it's called Stockholm is a State of Minds. Each year, brilliant people from all over the world move to Stockholm and Sweden for work, studies, love, or as an accompanying partner. If this describes you and you want to dive deeper into Swedishness and discover key topics to discuss during a coffee break or dinner party, then you should definitely tune in. The podcast again is Stockholm is a State of Minds. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts, and it's a great tool if you want to become more Swedish. Now, back to the news. Earlier this week, we reported on a clarification 
from the Swedish tax agency that sex workers must pay tax on any income earned from their services. This is standard practice in many countries, but the intricacies of Sweden's prostitution laws make it a bit more complicated here. And the agency's clarification came on the back of a question from a sex worker who was unsure of the rules. Richard, can you give us some background on Sweden's laws around sex work, which might help explain why taxation is seen as a grey area for some sex workers? Well, you can see why sex workers would avoid paying tax or maybe even not even know that they're supposed to pay taxes. Presumably, all of their clients are going to be paying in cash because Sweden's sex purchase law makes it illegal for anyone to buy sex. So you can hardly pay with a credit card or get out your phone and pay with Swish because you, you're paying for an illegal service. It's like buying drugs with, with a credit card. I don't know. So presumably, the sex workers must have, you know, quite a lot of cash just lying around. And, and I don't know, mm. it would be a pretty honest sex worker that then decided to declare absolutely everything to the, to the, yeah. um, to the authorities. Bit of background to the law. It came into force in 1999 at, when it was the first sex purchase law in the world. Sweden was the first country to penalise the buyer of sex rather than the seller of sex, who is seen as, yeah. as a victim rather than a criminal, really. And Swedes largely remain extremely proud of, 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 the, of the law, with I think I think 79% of women back at 60% of men. And it's seen as, as a feminist approach to criminalising the sex industry. But it's not actually that popular with the people it's supposed to be protecting because for if you are a sex worker, it, it creates a, a, a lot of headaches that, that, that wouldn't be there if it was completely legal as it is in Germany, Greece and Switzerland, for example. I interviewed a um, sex worker in Malmo once uh, about this and it was the, same, the very same day that I interviewed her. The apartment she'd been working at, at from had been raided by the police and her client was arrested. And she was really quite upset about this. As she said, you know, well, he was a really nice guy. and He could go to prison for up to a year. And she was kind mm. of a bit shocked that this, that, you know, she'd been doing her job and this, the police had raided the apartment and then pulled this guy away. And she was also, she lost the apartment because the person who's renting it to her was like, uh, yeah, you're not allowed to do that in this apartment. <laughs> so she lost the apartment. She had to find a new place to work. She said that the, the law in Sweden makes it a lot harder also because her clients were always on edge the, all of the business had to be done really quickly. They kind of wanted to be out. And, and, and I interviewed some um, organizations that work with sex workers in Sweden at the, I mean, she, the person I spoke to was very much at the high end of the, of the market. But I spoke to organizations who work with people at the lower end, and they said that the sex purchase law is also a problem because if you're a street prostitute, for example, there are very few street prostitutes left, street sex workers mm. left. But if, if you are doing that, then, then you don't have time to sort of check out your client before you get into their car because it's all done very quickly no. because nobody wants to be spotted by the police. And that, and that exposes you to a lot of risk because you can't check if they're high on drugs. You can't check if they just seem like a crazy person. And, um, right. and similarly, when you let people into your apartment, if you're working out of an apartment, you don't have time to really check the people out carefully. You're also not allowed to work as a pimp, so you can't get somebody to protect you. You can't have someone who's a kind of heavyweight who'll protect you. And then finally, there's the question of money. I mean, so you you end up with a, with a pile of cash. What do you do with it? Presumably that exposes you to the risk of, of theft, but also, as has come out here, what do you do with your taxes? So, I mean, presumably, theoretically, as, as, the, as the tax agency is saying, theoretically, 
they should have a record of every client they have, how much they yeah. paid, and file a return to the tax agency, maybe every either every month as you can, or or once a year. Mm. But then obviously, if you do it every year, you'll have a a massive tax bill to pay all at once. So I think they'd prefer it to do it like like I I work when I'm freelancing at FSCAP, where you pay, they estimate how much you're earning a month and you pay sort of pre preliminary tax, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And and um so you don't get hit with a massive tax bomb at the end of the year. But I imagine I, I can't see that even after Scatterbuck it's saying this that many sex workers are going to declare everything they earn. I just can't see that can you I don't imagine that will happen. I, I imagine they'll earn a suspiciously low amount for a job where having a high hourly wage is one of the chief attractions. Yeah. What I found brilliant about about the tax agency's um comment was how brilliantly Swedishly bureaucratic it was. It said, you know, we have sympathy with people who are in this work, but the law is the law. You know, there is no yeah. alternative. You must, there is no ambiguity. You must record your earnings and declare taxes and pay taxes like anyone else. But it is strange because it's 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 is it unique? I mean, I, I think it's it's a unique situation for any kind of transaction where one side of the transaction yeah. is legal, the other side is not legal. So I can mm. see why it brings up issues. Could this be a way for the authorities to try to crack down on sex workers without actually cracking down on them? Like, if you don't do your taxes, that technically mm. you're committing a crime, aren't you? I mean, because this sex purchase law, it is supposed to reduce the amount of sex work going on. So even if it's not penalizing the sex worker, it's supposed mm. to reduce the amount of sex work. And the, and the evidence for that is pretty slim <laughs> that it works. That's the thing. People support this law a lot, but the evidence that it works is actually very weak. And, and it's, it's kind of experts tend to criticize it, I think. Doesn't, it doesn't protect the people it's supposed to protect. It's interesting. There was a lot of debate about it around the time I moved to Sweden, like almost 25 years ago. But it's not really something in, that's in the public debate much anymore, is it? Yeah, I think it's just it's just how the law works. And I, I, I think, as I said, most, pe most people support it. So there's, there's no yeah. one calling to, to remove it. And it's been copied by quite a few countries. It's been copied by Norway, Ireland, Canada, Iceland. I think that's maybe it. But other countries have followed followed the example of Sweden in this. As anyone who has moved to Sweden will know, the rental property market can be very difficult to access due in part to a shortage of housing stock and a queue system that tends to benefit people who've been in the system a long time. Now, Sweden's government has launched plans to make it easier for people to rent out their homes. And we're going to take a closer look now at the potential pros and cons. First off, Emma, what's the government saying about why it's pushing for this reform? Well, basically, generally in, in Sweden, just to put it in very kind of simplistic terms, left-wing governments tend to want to strongly regulate the housing market. Right-wing mm. governments tend to want to make it freer and liberalise it more. Yeah. And we've got a right-wing government at the moment. Uh, the government's justification is that it would be an efficient way of increasing Sweden's housing supply. There is like a severe shortage of housing in Sweden. And the government says that freeing up the private rental market would help reduce the number of properties and rooms that are unused. Like, for example, if you own like a big apartment or a big house and you actually don't use all the rooms in your house, you could rent it out to someone. And um, then property owners could make some a little bit more money. Like they could earn some money to rent out part of their property. And at the same mm. time, they could help someone who needs a place to stay, like like a student, for example. 
And I mean, you can, of course, do this already. You are allowed to rent out your home, but it's yeah, it's quite complicated. And the government basically thinks that it should be made easier. Okay, so can we talk a bit about um, the situation now? How does Sweden's rental market work today, Richard? It's very tightly regulated. And it's dominated by the municipal housing companies who together own half of all rental apartments in Sweden. So if you rent an apartment in Sweden, the chances are, are pretty much evens that you rent it from your municipality. And the other big provider are these big private landlords who can be Big, big Swedish companies, they can be all over the, the country, you know, big, you know, $100 million, billion dollar companies. And what there isn't really any of at all is small private landlords. So mm. almost every other country in Europe, there'll be private landlords who have like two or three mm. apartments and, and they make up a significant chunk of the housing market. But in Sweden, that's really not there at all. And I have to say that for foreigners to coming to Sweden, this is a nightmare. This is the system doesn't really work for anyone who mm. needs comes to a, comes to the country and needs an apartment at short notice. Because if you're someone who's grown up in Sweden, you've been on the housing list for ages. Because it can take you know at least five years, sometimes ten, to get your hands on an apartment. So if you've grown up here, then it works really well for you, and you get a subsidised apartment, and it can be cheaper maybe than it would be in the UK or Ireland or somewhere. And, and if yeah. you've grown up here, yeah. you know this. So the first thing you do when you turn eighteen is sign up for like a housing list in any town yeah. that you might want to live in, even if you're not actually looking for housing there and then. But if you come to Sweden for a job, a lot of foreigners come here for a job, and they go, "Okay, where do I rent my apartment?" And everyone goes, "Well, <laughs> you can't really," um, and that's that's a major problem. And so so it favours people who are established in Sweden, but penalises new arrivals, I would argue. Yeah. So a lot of people end up renting sublets. But what are what are the current rules on subletting, buy-to-let and, and renting out cooperative apartments, Emma? So you can rent out your home today, as I said, but you're not supposed to make a profit or run it kind of as a business. So there are various rules that are in place to make sure that this doesn't happen. And these rules, they like, I'm not going to get into too specific details, but they vary a bit the rules on whether you're subletting an apartment that you're renting or an apartment that you own. But the government suggested reform is mainly about apartments or, or houses that you own. So either either you own them kind of on your own or you own them as part of a bostadsrätt condominium, which is quite common yeah. for apartments in Sweden. Uh, these rules, they're actually already more liberal than for subletting rental apartments. But some of the rules that you do have to follow is that um, if you own a bostadsrätt, you need to get permission from the board of your housing association mm. and you need to have a reason to rent it out, like beyond just, oh, I bought this flat and now I want to make money off of it. Yeah, uh, You're also not supposed to charge a higher rent than what's reasonable and you can only set up one lease. So if you want to rent out like two rooms in an apartment to two separate tenants, you're seen as running a commercial business, which makes the rules even stricter and also, among other things, makes it harder to evict the tenants if needed. And this basically this basically creates a market where, you know, people who sublet apartments from someone else, people who rent them, they have to kind of often move from one apartment to the next like you stay there for one year and then you get kicked out because they're not allowed to keep renting it out to you and then you move on to the next one yeah okay and if we get into the government's plans a bit more what what changes um is the government suggesting in general they say they want to make it simpler 
and more profitable for private tenants to rent out their properties. And among other things, they want to change this rule that Emma referred to where you can only rent out one, have one lease. So they want to make it so that you can rent out, say, the outbuilding in your in your garden and one of your rooms. And like, you know, maybe they haven't said exactly how many, but but more than one in any case. They also want to change the way the rent level is set. At the moment, it's basically set on an estimate of the lender's costs. So the amount, right. an estimate of how much it costs to own a flat that bit. It's not the actual costs. It's 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 a sort of estimate of depreciation of the property. I don't know exactly how it works, but anyway, it's cost-based rather than demand-based. And they want to change it so it reflects more the the demand there is for the property. So say you had like a top, top floor flat on Strandwegen in Stockholm with a view over the harbour or something like that. It wouldn't just be, the amount you could charge for rent would not just be based on the estimated costs of owning such an apartment. It would be based on the fact that right. people want to have that amazing view and you could charge, you know, what, what it's actually worth. But, but technically, like in reality, people already do. Like on the subletting market, people already overcharge. Like, mm-hmm. they charge much higher rents than they're actually supposed to, according to the law. But they can be brought to court but, for that. But then, yeah. but then the, the tenant can take them to court if they want to, but then maybe they don't because then they'll get kicked out of their apartment. Or, so, and, But they also want to change the rules for renting out a flat or house that's part of a housing cooperative. And mm-hmm. I think one of the issues at the moment is that while the housing cooperative needs to have a good justification if they... Re- say, no, you can't rent out your flat. They get quite a lot of leeway for setting a time limit. They can say, okay. well, you can only rent it out for six months because the idea is that a cooperative is a kind of, it's a, it's a kind of collective of people. So you, you want, the board wants to have some control over who lives there. And so you don't want people to just rent it out to who, whoever. And, and so, and housing cooperatives also nowadays, they have the right to say, actually, this person, we don't really like the look of them. You know, they've got big dogs. We don't want them in our housing cooperative. They haven't said how they want to change the rules, but presumably it will create extra limits on what the board of these cooperatives can do to stop people or control how they rent out their properties, to give, to give, to shift the balance of power a little bit more towards the person renting out the apartment and away from the board of the cooperative, uh, but they, it doesn't in the it didn't spell out any details in the in the investigation as to how they want to do that. So one of the big players in the housing market is the Swedish Union of Tenants. Um, what are they saying about this, Emma? Well, they've raised concerns that instead of freeing up the rental market as the government says it wants to do, it will actually create like a whole new sector which is based around private individuals renting out buy to let apartments, like. Um, it's the case in a lot of other countries. They're worried that this will lead to fewer rights for tenants and for that people who want to own their own homes, that they will be priced out of the market, mm. that more and more people are going to start to buy properties to rent them out just as investments, and that this could then push up the price of property and make it even harder for first-time buyers to enter the housing market. Which is also a problem as well. And and that's something that in the directive to that they spell out that they don't want this reform to make that happen. So they say, you know, right. while we want to free it up and allow people to make more money, we don't want to create incentives that will lead people to buying properties just as an investment. You know, we, we, we want it to be so that if you own a property, you can make a bit of money on the side, but you're not going to go out and buy a property just to rent it out. So I don't know how they're going to set that, draw that line. But, but, but they do say that 
specifically that risk that the Swedish Union tenants raised is recognized in the directive. And they say, well, we don't want this to happen. This isn't what we want. I want to have pizza for dinner every night, but I don't want to get fat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's what I'm doing wrong. Okay, great. And when when will these proposals be finalised and will they be enacted? Well, the inquiry is set to give its conclusions in March uh, 2025. So that's a long way off. (laughs) And um, after which it could take six months or more, I would estimate, for a bill to be submitted to the Parliament based on the conclusions. And then I imagine you would probably, in that bill, have the changes come into force at the start of 2026, I imagine. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a long way off, but I think the government can pretty much rely on getting it through because if they have the backing of the far-right Sweden Democrats, and they'd also probably get the backing of the opposition centre party, although this would sting because the government parties voted down the centre party's own proposal to liberalise uh, rent just for political reasons, even though they supported it. So the centre party might sort of be bloody minded and not back it. But anyway, it looks pretty likely to be to secure a majority in the parliament. So it looks like this will go through. Okay, great. We'll watch this space. Okay, let's wrap it up there. Uh, you've just been listening to the last episode of Sweden in Focus before we take an extended break for the summer. Our plan is to be back in the first week of September and we wish all our listeners a wonderful summer. Thank you for tuning in each week and a special thanks to those of you who support the local through membership. It is absolutely essential for us to be able to keep covering the news on the website and in this podcast. Our panellists today were Richard Orange and Emma Lovegrain. We also had James Savage calling in from Gotland. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again after the summer. Until then, take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.